0: Let us pray. Lord, let the words that you've put into my mind and on my lips help us to know you better. Amen. Amen. Today is Trinity Sunday. This is the day that is possible and probably not too wise that many preachers try and explain the Holy Trinity. It's also, I believe, the Sunday that rectors across the world in their infinite wisdom encourage assistants to preach. (laughs) Or even more graciously invite someone else up to this existential milieu. It's also Father's Day, so a big shout out to everyone who has been a dad, is a dad, acts like a dad, all that. And today is also EFM Sunday. So I, who am an enthusiastic advocate of EFM, am the one to preach. Perhaps God, in her infinite mercy, planned this Sunday to be a Trinitarian Sunday. A colleague of mine recently reminded me that usually when a preacher starts a sermon, a sermon explaining the Trinity, about three minutes in, they begin heresy. <laughs> so I'm going to try and stay clear of that. I think I've always known about the Trinity. As far back as I can remember, as a little child, we learned about the Trinity when our teacher would hold up a three-leaf clover, or they'd hold up three matches, three matches, and put them together, and the flame would be one. What wasn't to understand, especially in a child's mind? And when I was in seminary and doing postgraduate work, we dove into the creedal statements, which went on to prove to those who could understand and most of us who couldn't understand that there were three persons in God, in one God, and why this was even possible and how. But my favorite, my personal favorite Trinitarian scholar was my religion teacher who I had for four years of high school. She was very learned and very dramatic. However, when she was faced to the limits of her knowledge, she would pause for a moment and she'd raise her hands up and she'd say, we just don't know. We just don't know. <laughs> it's just a big question mark. We just don't know. So I appreciated her difference in this of this really hard concept and I've more or less accepted it through the years. So I don't worry so much that I don't exactly understand the Trinity as I try to recognize that the Trinity is what happens to us and within us and around us when we begin paying attention. When we begin to experience God happening to us in some tangible way, I believe that this is when we begin understanding the Trinity. So, I'd like to share with you a story about the Trinity and me. Several years ago, I was in the Holy Land for three weeks. There were 22 of us on this pilgrimage, including two leaders. We're still in contact after these few years, and we still call ourselves the 22. We're all ministers. There were 18 of them were moderate uh, Southern Baptists, two Methodists, one Presbyterian, and I was the lone Episcopal priest. There were 17 men and five women. We came from all over the United States. A couple of the Baptists knew each other because Baptists are like that, <laughs> <laughs> but basically we were all strangers to each other. The structure of the day was that we would rise about 6 to 6 30 and get ready for the day. Some of us more health conscious, some of them, more health conscious, <laughs> would rise earlier to see the sunrise, and then they would run into Tiberias for a little exercise. We'd eat breakfast together, and then we'd read scripture designated for the day. For instance, we would read about Jesus feeding the multitudes, and then we would go and walk um, where he traditionally did these things. Now, when you're in Israel, you learn one word that's really important, and it is traditionally. And it means that we're not quite sure exactly where something happened, but it probably was close by. So we'd go out on our adventure and we'd have lunch and we'd be back in the afternoon and get into the scripture more intently. One of our leaders was a New Testament professor from Mercy University and he'd lead us through a scholarly search of this passage. And our second leader was a church history professor and our spiritual director. And he'd get us set up for meditation and he'd pose questions to us for for us to uh, delve into during our quiet time about what we'd heard and seen all day. And we'd have silent meditation somewhere for about two hours and we could go anywhere we wanted or we could even sleep for a while. And that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was still, it was still early in our uh, journey and I was tired. I'm a lifelong insomniac But surprisingly, here, I would drop off in seconds and I'd have vivid dreams about what we'd seen so far. And we'd come back and we'd talk about what we'd gleaned from this exercise and we'd conclude our day. We'd end our day with dinner, which we all ate together, and then we'd spend the rest of the evening getting to know each other, talking and laughing and drinking a little wine, even the Baptist, and swapping clergy stories. We were encouraged to journal every day, Months before our journey, we all came together for a weekend in Atlanta so we could meet each other and greet each other and get an idea about what the expectations of this experience were. So we would, uh, we would do this. And I'd like to, um, the, the, the journaling that we did is something that I've done off and on my whole life, but this was, a re- this was really important to me later on after I read the things. And I'd like to share with you an early entry that was insight for me, so later. It begins, I am in Israel, more exactly in Tabka on the Sea of Galilee, which will be our home for the next two weeks. And then we move to Jerusalem. I haven't found Jesus yet. I've been in Capernaum, where he walked. I've been in the synagogue, where it said that, where it said that he traditionally believed that, that Jesus worshiped. I've seen the remains of the house that's purported to have belonged to Peter, where Jesus would have surely visited many times. I've been to the spot where it's it's said that Jesus made Peter the head of the church remember upon this rock I will build this church and I even picked up a stone to bring home to remind myself that we are part of the tradition that believes that we are in succession and traditionally the hands that were laid on us at ordination go all the way back to Jesus's hands my new baptist minister friends and I have had many a debate and discussion over this but I haven't found Jesus yet I've had many dreams and yearnings, and it's always about my family and a place where our breath is taken away by the splendors that surround us, where we laugh and we enjoy each other and we drink good wine, where we rest and play and talk to each other with depth. We've come close to this, but nothing is as wonderful as this dream world. I am in the Holy Land through no merit of myself, just by plain old grace. The gift has fallen in my lap because someone in my past remembered me and thought I might add diversity to this group and by a family who has been blessed by an inordinate financial success and made this trip possible through their generous gift. They wanted priests and ministers to have the opportunity to have their souls and their lives renewed and nourished. Things fell into place also by grace after 20 years, horrible hours less than perfect travel my legs were still cramping my hair is standing straight up my teeth really need to be brushed and I am in a bad humor however I continue to smile and act more pleasant than I feel because I'm here for 25 days with people that I don't know and don't know me and I want them to like me I want to be accepted by them We've arrived at this land called Holy, and here I am on a Saturday afternoon, sitting on the terrace of a small German hotel. If I had a good arm, I could throw a stone out into the Sea of Galilee. I'm so close. I'm shaded by 100-year-old ficus and kumquat trees. Bougainvilleas all around us are as big as martabuses, and something that smells like Carolina jasmine wafts through the air, all day and night. Between me and the water, there are palm trees that are so big and fat you can't believe your eyes, and there are pomegranate and fig trees that are heavy with fruit, and they're going to be ripe anytime. and there is no quiet. The birds talk to themselves and each other constantly, but it's still a perfect soothing place for thought and journaling. Some folks have seen parrots flying from tree to tree, but I haven't. I hope I see them soon. And there's an animal that we have never seen before, but who suns himself on the wall around where we're staying. We found out he's called a coney or a um, rock badger and something unpronounceable in Aramaic. We've also found out that conies are cited in the Psalms, if you want to look something up. When I look out on the Sea of Galilee, it looks turquoise and aqua to me. I pictured it to be brown and murky, but maybe my eyesight has changed. We ate fish last night, the same type of fish it is said that Peter and his brothers caught. It's a stronger taste than the tilapia that we get here in Atlanta, and it's called St. Peter's fish. <laughs> when I look out across the sea, which is really a lake, I can see, that I can see Jordan and Syria and Golan Heights, so I've been told. They all merge together for me. If I could see as far as the crow flies, I'd see Baghdad a hundred or so miles ahead. And every time I look out, my breath catches and my eyes want to weep. It's so beautiful. At meals, there are bowls of olives and tomatoes and cucumbers and mounds of figs and apricots and cheeses that I don't know what they are, but they melt in your mouth. And fresh baked bread, smells the smell greets us before we even open the door. My companions and I are not strangers after this time. We've become vulnerable and protected with each other. We've studied scripture, and this morning we walked where Jesus has said to have fed the crowds with two fish and some bread. We talked late into the night about what this meant to us as men and women and as clergy persons. How could we be strangers after experiencing this together? How does this make a difference in our lives? But it does, and it has. And we sit here in this holy place and listen to each other share our awakenings. Our paths are diverse, but we understand what we're saying to each other. My loved ones aren't here to share this most splendid of places, and yet I'm not sad. This place is so familiar to me, and it's utterly so strange. Tonight, some of my new friends and I will look out onto this extraordinary place and drink it in with all of our senses and swap some more stories. But right now, the water is calling me to dip my feet in it, the same place that we've heard that our Lord and his disciples have dipped theirs. I feel protected and loved and content, and I think I've found Jesus. Amen.